I think we're going. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us once again. This is our live production of what we're calling Overtime. And we like to call it a production. Yeah. Well, my, that's a word that I just used. We don't really put too much thought into this. We just I put thought into it. Maybe I don't put thought into it. I'm not sure. Uh, so welcome to that. Basically, what uh, Overtime is, is uh, we get the opportunity to talk about what we've talked about this past weekend. It's what we've been saying is anything that was left kind of on the cutting room floor where Josh gets to share any other thoughts, any additional ideas, uh, and also any, answer any questions that you may have. That could be both from the weekend services, that could be kind of things that we're doing within our church, that could just be general questions about faith. Um, and we encourage you to submit those questions. So there's two ways that you can do that. One, if you're with us over the weekend on a bulletin that looks something like that, you can just jot your questions down and drop them in, in the offering basket on the way out. Or you can go to overtime, uh, email us at overtime at clcfamily.church, and we'll be able to do that. Uh, this week, there's not a ton of questions. We, we've got one question that was emailed to us, so we'll get to that and, and into a discussion. But before we do that, we do want to highlight something that's going to be happening next Wednesday, and that is on November 13th. It is our evening with elders. Uh, basically, the elders are going to be getting together and they are going to talk about some of the different initiatives that we have going on in the church. This is kind of like a, a business meeting for us in the sense that they're letting you know some of the business of the church. You can bring any questions to that meeting if you want. So we want to encourage you guys to be there. It is during our cow hours. So basically at 530, we're going to have a meal here at the church at 615 when the normal classes start. That evening with elders will start, so it goes 6.15 till 7.30, uh, and then you can ask those questions during that event, or if you want to talk to elders afterwards, they'll be uh, available to chat. Um, yeah, anything else that we need to highlight? Uh, no, I think that's really good stuff. One, you get to meet the elders. Yep. Uh, I hope that would bring you great confidence that there's actually um, some consistency and some character and integrity and people who yep. love Jesus and all that. And, uh, you know, we have had lots of stuff going on last year. It'd be nice to catch up to speed on our budget, what's going on there, even all the Christmas projects from last year. I'd love to talk to you more about what has happened at the counseling center, what's happening right. with the kitchen, uh, definitely uh, what's been happening and will continue to happen with disability ministry. Uh, so get, you should show up to that and hear from them and make some new friends. Yeah. Uh, two other things that just kind of thrown out there. If you are new listening live and you maybe can't catch all of this, uh, you need to head back to work or you just, you know, half hour break, whatever, whatever that is. If you are interested, you can check out our podcast. They're found both on Apple and on um, Spotify. So if you go to the Apple podcast or if you go to Spotify, all you got to do is search for clcfamily.church and you should find that. So you can find those there. That That's kind of all of our RSS feeds. So that's all of our different services. Um, also, the other side to that, too, is that last week we launched a, a women's um, podcast called Bravely Honest, and that's with Megan and Carrie, two of our staff members here at the church. So check that one out. They actually got a little bit more popularity than Josh did it's last week. Ridiculous. Um, it's pretty awesome to poke fun at that. So just just so you know that his his podcast is okay. But Carrie and Megan's apparently is on point. So just on fleek. On fleek. <laughs> so uh, we'll jump in today to, to the content. Um, oh, sorry. I was thinking about naming my own podcast something different, like Insecurely Dishonest. Insecurely, insecurely <laughs> so Dishonest. So tune in next week for men who talk about being insecurely dishonest. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but who knows? <laughs> we'll see. Um, so do you want to start off this week by just kind of giving a recap of what we talked about? We were in John chapter 4 this past week, but... Yeah, uh, happy to. 
So big ideas, we're working through a series called Jesus Creed Premises. We all have creeds in our life, that, that a bunch of beliefs that kind of determine our actions, our behaviors, and uh, that doesn't always work out well for us. In fact, we'd all agree at some point those creeds have, have hurt us, um, hurt our families, hurt our own souls, all that kind of stuff. And so we've been kind of foundationally trying to figure out, okay, what exactly, what creed should we live by? Big argument in this whole series for now you know, several weeks into it is, uh, that, uh, the creed is, should be based on actually on Jesus. You know, he says, I'm, he, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father, but through him. And if that's all true, that if he is the way, the truth and the life, it makes sense that we would foundationally build our life on that. And what we know is, um, these creeds end up determining kind of our identity and uh, our life. And so right. if you think about these things, it's our beliefs that determine our behaviors, but it's our thoughts that determine our beliefs. So whatever you think about eventually becomes what you believe, and whatever you believe eventually uh, determines your actions. And so finally this week we got to look at, okay, how do we change our behaviors by changing our beliefs, which happens by changing our thoughts. And so uh, our thoughts, which kind of create our identity, usually um, come from a couple places. One, what someone has said about us or done to us. Right, uh, very common for us to have those experiences and define who we are based on what our parents said about us, our coach said about us, our teacher said about us, our boss said about us, our spouse said about us, or what they actually physically did to us. Many of us carry lots of pain from that, and so a lot of us have shaped our thoughts and therefore our beliefs and behaviors based on what people have said and done about us. And then for me, I, I know when I really kind of dig in my own soul, the reality is what we're at, where most of what I've shaped my behaviors from are the beliefs I have about myself as a result of the thoughts and actions I've done to myself, right? So yeah. uh, so an identity is usually shaped by what someone says or does about you or what you have said or done to yourself, right? And so uh, we all kind of understand that that's a difficult way to live. And boy, it's an emotional roller coaster uh, when our identity is based on what someone else feels about us. And frankly, it's a, it's a pretty overwhelming roller coaster if it's a, based on what we feel about ourselves because that that changes with the tide. And right. So the big idea of this week was what if there's a no, different way to find your identity? And I think there is. And it's actually what the God of the universe says about us and does for us. And he does it in such a beautiful way that he actually puts on human flesh. Jesus steps on this planet, makes some declarations about how he feels about us and how we are valued and then pays the ultimate price for us and, and his death. And, um, and so I see that happen. And it's interesting because if you look back 2,000 years ago, uh, there is this understanding that something like that could possibly happen. Now, they didn't know, particularly religious people, didn't know that it was going to save them for all eternity, fix right, their soul. Right. But they did understand that the way they were living and what they were operating in wasn't what they longed for, which is, frankly, if we all pause for a second, the way they were living and operating isn't really what we've always longed for. And so they knew that and they were suspicious because they had heard this whisper that, God was going to fix all that, a Messiah and a Christ. And so what we really got to see this week is that Messiah and that Christ makes himself known to a a really irreligious pagan lady who found all of her identity in yeah. men and you know, being a wife and five husbands on the sixth one. And just imagine some, some real legitimate pain and all that. And Jesus literally declares, I am the one who gets to declare your value and I'm the one who pays the price for you and meets her in the middle of those circumstances and therefore changes how we view our identity. And the way by which he does it is he peers into her, not her heart, not her mind. He peers into her soul. Yeah. It's like everything you're looking for will only satisfy your body, but only for a moment. And you think about all the pleasure we seek and all of our appetites, all those things only satisfy us for a moment. Now, sometimes our brains replay that satisfaction, but it only 
satisfies us for a moment. Jesus goes, what I can offer you, he refers to it as living water, will satisfy you forever. And so right. what I really hoped you got this week, if you, you were here, listen to it, is I really hope you pause for a second and go, yeah, there's something about that. Because I understand I got a heart and mind and a body and a stomach and lungs, but there is something else in me that's harder to explain. And I'd say, yep, that's your soul. And that's the part of you that you can never escape. Right. And we all want to talk about feeding our bodies. There's lots of books about feeding our bodies, but somehow we miss it in the church, outside the church. So there's a, a real legitimate part of us, our soul that will live forever and our soul that determines how life treats us or how we treat life, right? And, and so really want us to pause for a second. If we have that soul, which you do, then how do we feed it and nourish it? And what Jesus says is he is the only one who can offer the nutrients by which that can happen. Yeah. Some the Jesus Creed is if you want your soul to be fed uh, for now and all eternity, the only source of um, nourishment is going to be Jesus. Yeah, so. yeah. it's good. Uh, I feel like I've got a, a bunch of thoughts that I wrote down that I think that we can kind of jump in. I'm yeah, excited to kind of talk through it. And even I've had the opportunity, I think, uh, man, I don't know when it was, maybe two years ago at this point, but I, I remember hearing you uh, you talk on John 3 and 4 in the same message. And so I want to get to that at one point. But just the kind of, uh, as you started off this message, you, you talked about it exactly what you already talked through right now. He said, thoughts lead to your beliefs and your beliefs lead to your behavior. And so uh, I guess in that, I've got two thoughts uh, or questions, maybe one. Uh, one was just curious, is that something that you thought through or is that, uh, I don't know, something I know that you're, you're pretty big into mental health and kind of understanding the brain. Is that maybe somebody that you read or did, or is that just something that smart old Josh just thought No, about? I don't. I, to be honest with you, I doubt there's, a, a, I mean, this is a humble pie. There's very few original thoughts in my head. And so I'm really intrigued by cognitive behavior therapy, yeah. uh, where um, one a couple different approaches that people deal with in terms of, you know, talk therapy, mental health. One is, let's just talk about it, talk about it, talk yeah. about it. Let's fill it some more and talk about it. And, um that pattern can get really old. Like, I'm yeah. tired of th feeling the pain I had as a second grader. Right, right. So what has to happen in there is you have to look at a, uh, an event in your life, whatever it is. It can be present or in the yep. past. And uh, imagine the thoughts that you have about that event. And then imagine the beliefs you have as a result of thoughts. And then make some conclusions about how you're going to behave. Yeah. So while they wouldn't say it in that order, I think there's a lot of folks that would kind of I, I, this isn't new. This, I think people kind of understand those things and scripture kind of backs it up. But I do find myself over and over again when, when I come into a, you know, a, a difficult situation. And frankly, like I, I get this woman, like I, like I reason if you were here Sunday and like, ah, he felt pretty passionate on that. Yeah. I, I get the pain of that. Like I get the pain of looking for a value, um, in places other than God and get the pain of it not working out that way. And so fully understand that. And so as I think through it, it really is whenever that like trigger happens to me, I go, okay, okay, what's that event? Oh goodness. That person didn't speak. That person didn't say thank you. That person took a shot. That person questioned my motives. And all of a sudden I have all these emotions. And so I pause for a second. I try to, and God says in Genesis three, where are you? You know, he says to Elijah, what are you doing? So we're like, okay, Josh, where are you? What are you doing? Right. Yeah. Let me establish the thoughts that I'm currently having. That's when Adam and Eve go, well, we realized we were naked and ashamed. So we hid, right? So they had a thought. Yeah. We're naked. They had a belief. We right. feel shame. They had a behavior. They hid, right? Right, right? So, uh, so I guess it's that. And I never thought about it in that way to write the second. So things. Yeah. That. No. So, so I, I feel yeah. like that you're answering the second yeah. part of what my question was. Is well, how do you go about changing your thoughts? And yeah. that's what I feel like you're answering so, now. Yeah. So yeah, like so weird, like. And, you know, there's lots of studies out there right now, and no one talked about this 20 years ago, I don't think, but uh, 
intelligence only gets you so far. You know, like you, you can memorize stuff, you can do stuff. But if you are emotionally unaware of who you are or how you're perceived or what's going on with you, you're going to have trouble the rest of your life connecting with other people, right? right. Because what we're really doing is my emotions connecting to your emotion, right? right like we're, right. we're, if we're going to have a connection, it's going to be at a level beyond cognitively what's right, going on here. Right. So ultimately, all this has to start with a pause. Mm-hmm. By the way, in the scriptures, you see That's it good. in Psalm, it's a, you see where he writes all these passionate worship. And then there's this thing that says Selah, S-E-L-A-H. And we can't really define the word. But I would argue it's just a pause where finally right. you just go, okay. And in that pause, you get to think mm-hmm. and reflect and go, what is it I'm feeling? What is it that I believe about this? Oh, gosh, I'm naked. Uh, boy, that makes me feel shameful. Yeah. And why do I want to hide? Like, what, you know, and so kind of that, that premise of I think ultimately the only place where any of that stuff happens, right, is in space. And uh, that's why Victor Frankl, Frankl says there's a, there is, a, you know, like a, a stimuli and a response. There's a stimuli and a response. And when that stimuli, when that stimulus happens, there's a response. And he says that space between it can make all the difference. Right? Mm-hmm. So I have this stimuli and then there's this response. By the way, that's psychology. I, Katie, uh, Katie, Dr. Katie Bowman talks about the Victor Frankl thing a whole bunch. Of them. We got to actually pause and take some space and have some thoughts. So yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm just yeah. uh, checking notes. It's one way that uh, Christian, who's hiding in the room, he's uh, giving us some feedback. He's not the tech. producer. I want to be clear here. It's not like he's <laughs> the producer. He's yeah. yeah. So that was just my mom. She just said she loved me. You loved you. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I feel like I've got a ton of questions okay. that kind of jump around uh-huh. a bit, and then I do want to get to the to the one question that we have. Um, so I'm not really sure what order I should kind of do it do it in. So um, maybe let's jump into. Uh, so I've heard you talk before about John chapter three and John chapter four at the same time. So what is that kind of comparison, or or, or I guess because you weren't you didn't have the time to be able to do that on Sunday, but hearing it in the past, it was impactful for me. So can you kind of share about the difference between Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and then this woman at the will in John chapter 4. Yeah, so one privilege, I get to talk about one one week, the other than the next, uh, so I get a lot more time. Uh, yeah. I think it's Encounters with Jesus, a book written by um, Tim Keller, where he talks about the different encounters Jesus has that help shape and form some of those understandings. That his argument is that uh, you really can't see those as two separate stories, mm-hmm. but that they're connected together. Okay. And so, which would make sense, because even as we talk about Jesus' creeds, we're really talking about uh, the creeds that most people have, which uh, we talk a lot about religion as man's attempt to either get back to God or become their own God, right? right. So in one sense, it's religious. How do I do the right things to make God happy with me? What is all the rituals and rules I have to perform to appease the gods right. or right. become my own God? Now, there's a whole different group of people that go, I don't know how to connect with God. So therefore, I'm going to find my happiness and my joy and the pleasure that's around me. So you have Nicodemus as a guy who's going, here's the rules you follow to make God happy with you, right? Yeah. And he is comfortable in his, his leadership. He has affluence and influence. And it's really interesting to see how God responds in the, the, the way that Keller refers to it as the insider, the one with okay. the insight. And so for many folks, this is why I like talking about these together because one of the difficulties of our church body is we have people who have been Christians for 50 years, right? Yeah. And we have people who don't believe any of this stuff yet. Right. All in the same body, sitting in the same room together, which I love, but it does go, okay, well, how do we make sure we talk about those things? It's almost like talking about the prodigal son. We always talk in Luke 15 where uh, Jesus tells a story of one son going away. He basically says, I'm going to find all my value and pleasure 
he gets his dad's inheritance and walks away. The other son, the religious, or the, the, the son who stays, he stays and follows all the rules. Yeah. But you get to the end of the story, and you have one son who's done everything wrong that the father just embraces and loves and cares for. And then you have this almost rebuke to the other son who's all pouty of going, I did everything right, right. and you didn't celebrate me that way. And you go, wow, what's the motivation in your heart? That's about you think the only way you get love and affection is if you perform correctly. And so some of that requires a jarring, like, you know, like, yeah. and so the way that I talk about it is to think that Jesus um, afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. Mm -hmm. So comforts the afflicted, afflicts the comfortable. And I think this woman at the well, she is afflicted. And so you see her, while frank with her, being very comforting, mm -hmm. very assuring. Like he's literally reaching out to her yeah. and meeting her where it is. He seeks and, her And that's, that's kind of directly different than what we see in John 3 as Jesus is going like you're Israel's teacher and yet yeah. you don't know you this. don't know so he's going yeah. to afflict the comfortable why because he he got this religious arrogance yeah. so there is only two ways to get uh, to God in my opinion right you know Jesus is the way that kind of stuff either through humility or humiliation hmm. humility or humiliation right and so however we get there my desire for all of you listening is that we'd get there through humility. There'd be this positioning where we position ourselves before God and go, you're great. I'm not, I can't earn my salvation. I can't do these things. Uh, so if anything good's going to happen in my life for now or all eternity, it's only going to be your work in me. And so what you see here is you see Jesus directly talk to the, uh, the insider and redirect him to what it looks like. And he uses a very complicated analogy of being born again. Yeah. Right. And then you see him, you know, very caringly look at this woman at the well and then, you know, the, and invites her and tells her that he can give her something. Yeah. That's you know, when he asks, how do you inherit internal life? This is what John said. Jesus doesn't tell him he's the one. Hmm. You know, when he looks at this woman, yeah. he goes, I'm he. Isn't, isn't that like, I, I didn't look this up. Yeah. I thought about it and then completely forgot about it. Um, isn't it one of the very few times, like two times that Jesus actually declares that he's the Messiah? Like it, it's, I, I know that it, Jesus isn't just walking around going, Hey, I'm, I'm he. But in this moment he says, I am he. Yeah. So I'm thinking through some other things like, uh, he, he refers to himself as the son of man, son of God. Yeah. Um, I don't see many times where, Someone talks about a Christ, and he declares he's that Christ. Right, right. So this might be uh, – don't, don't hold me to it, but this might be – it probably is the first time he looks – in fact, I would yeah. almost argue – I don't want to say definitely. Really confident. This is the first time that he reveals that to a human being. Right, that he so, is the Messiah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty so amazing. He says it, and then she goes and says, could he be the Messiah? Like <laughs> – like, oh gosh, I mean, that's, just told you. Yeah, yeah could have, uh, you know, like, come see the carnival show yeah. that told me all about my life. And then, yeah. then you see all these people come and do it. So, yeah, I think it is really important to go, man, like, I, I, if you are far from God, don't believe in this stuff, you got to understand the posture that he has towards you is so yeah. gracious yeah. and so kind. But for the arrogance of us to think that our rules and to tell other people to follow our rules and our legalism, there is a Almost a belligerence Jesus mm -hmm. has towards that. Like there's a yeah. different position and posture he takes towards the, the comfortable yeah. versus those who are afflicted. So yeah. you're in tons of pain, tons of awareness that you need something. I mean, that's why she goes, hey, I don't know where to worship because I don't know where to fix this. Yeah. Let me tell you where it is, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. It's a pretty cool conversation, and, and I love the outcome. So last week we talked yeah. about how John kind of 
or, or excuse me, it's John chapter 3, but Nicodemus, where we see him kind of at the end of Jesus' life kind yep. of making some bold bold yep. things, taking Jesus off the cross, kind of preparing his body, breaking yep. Sabbath and all of these laws. But what I love about the story in John chapter 4 is that this woman who doesn't have a name, at least in, in the Bible, like there's yep. no listed name, she goes from this outcast to this evangelist, like showing up at the well at the middle of the day, yep. presumably so that, She's not bothered by people or, uh, you know, maybe you can even speak to that, but like middle of the day, presumably to avoid people, but she goes from that outcast to now she becomes everyone come see I've met the Messiah, yeah. like to the biggest evangelist there is. So I think that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. So imagine like your biggest, the biggest introvert, you know, yeah. you know, like pictures of them at a party, right? <laughs> Just seeing them over next to the, you know, not next to the trash can because people are coming that direction. Like the place <laughs> that no one's going, right? Yeah. Not clear next to the bathroom. It's like the one corner where they can back up and sit in that place and not be bothered. No, imagine like just instantaneously that person becoming the life of the party. You're yeah. going what did that person just take? Right. 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 I mean, like there is something so like they literally, there's something that transformed in their brain. And our assumption would be that it has to be some kind of chemical that yeah. happened. Because we understand that something went on in their brain to make them that way. And then all of a sudden something else went up here that made them a different way. And so yeah. when you look at that, you're literally seeing a picture of what it looks like to completely renew your mind. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden there is this, this isn't alcohol. This isn't some kind of pill. Like something happened there where she had new That's thoughts right. And new beliefs, and as a result of those new thoughts and beliefs, like distinctly different behaviors. So that's yeah. why when people talk about repentance, they always want to talk about the 180. Yeah. Because yeah. that's exactly what this is. This was a girl who looked down and a girl who looked up, right? But it'd be really easy for us to miss how that 180 happened yeah. and go, why can't I do that? Okay, do the right thing. Get up earlier. Read my Bible, right? Yeah. Like you can't just will yourself to do those things. You can't white knuckle Christianity. It's going, changing your thoughts and going, God might want to speak to me today. Yeah. God actually does want to speak to me today. Yeah. He does want me to know him today. And he's given me his his love letter to my heart from him today. Therefore, if God's done that, those are my thoughts. I believe he wants to speak to me today. Then all of a sudden, I'm much more likely to open up my Bible and read it. Right. But if I go, gotta read, gotta read, gotta read, so God <laughs> is happy with me, that, you know, shame is a terrible motivator. It's just a terrible motivator. It just, uh, so what happens when you try to motivate with shame is someone does it for a day or two, but guess what? They won't see any benefit of it. Right. And eventually, they won't be able to perform well enough, and then they just get defeated. So whenever we hold shame over our kids or shame over whatever else, they just won't do it. So you got to change something about the way you think and believe if you want anything in your life to change. Yeah, so. and, and it's interesting, too, even going back to that comparison. So Nicodemus is you know maybe a slow change yeah. where it happens, but then for this woman, it's, it's almost instantaneous. Like I feel like for me my transformation was slow. It was a process of, of coming to terms and maybe I'm a little bit more of a doubting yeah. Thomas, but just, but then I've known people that man, they jump in and they're all in and yeah. it's like from day one, they're just go. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to talk about, you know, I think I quoted it last week, week before CS Lewis says never judge a person by where they are. Cause you don't know how far they've gone, but there's also some really good uh, research out there. Everett Rogers wrote a book called diffusions of innovation okay. uh, years ago. And basically he kind of viewed how different people respond to, technology change right new innovation yeah, yeah, yeah. and so 
there really is different wirings in all of us. That some of us are innovators. We, you know, the second you hear there's the next thing you're waiting in line for, right? Then you got the early adopters. Those are you're actually creating it. Then you got the early adopters going, I can't wait to get the new technology. I can't wait to learn it. Then you got the uh, the late majority. They'll actually say in most places that's where real change happens when the late majority okay. get in. And then you, I'm sorry, you got the early majority. That's when uh, that's where you really see change happen. Then eventually the late majority. Okay. Imagine a bell curve, and the last one are just the laggards, right? It's just okay. someone that just moves a lot slower in those things. And so, uh, I do think it's important that we understand our temperament and our wiring to go. While it's possible that that's instantaneous, what I don't want you to hear is, oh, that didn't happen for me. It must be that I haven't had that real right. kind of transformation. Nope. Right. right. And when you renovate something, either you're ripping it all out and putting brand new stuff in, or some of it is trying to assess what needs to be renovated and do those things. And so. It is okay that if this is a cumulative effect, right. little by little, day by day, I become more like Jesus. Little right. by little, right. I remove one more thing. So if we imagine an entire warehouse of thoughts and experience in our brain, that warehouse might catch on fire, <laughs> and it might just create this huge amount of pain, and then all of a sudden you have an empty warehouse to fill up. Or it might be that you're going through a catalog one thing at a mm. time and going, nope, that's the wrong thought. What's, what does Jesus say about me? Nope, that's the wrong thought. What do I believe in who Jesus is? So I think it's okay to kind of Come to some conclusions that this, if this doesn't happen in that way for you, it doesn't mean that God's not at work or you, right, right. You, there's not change. And the best sure. way to do that, and not going to tell you to journal or any of those kind of things, but it might, which I think could be helpful, it does make sense to pause every now and then and reflect on what the last six months has looked like in your life, last year, last two years, about really two things. What have you learned about who God is, and therefore, what have you learned about yourself? And there is some reflection time that's probably really helpful to kind of and to chart that a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple other things. And um, again, not really sure the order like you, you had talked about. Um, I'm not sure if you did it at all three services or if you just did it at one or two, but you had mentioned um, Senator Deniman and some of the things oh, yeah. that we we've offered. So I, I've got a question about that and then um, kind of a transition, I guess. I want to talk a little bit about the why were the Samaritan people hated or despised? Like maybe you can explain that. I know that you did that over yeah. the weekend, but why were they disliked the way that they were? Yeah. And maybe that kind of transitions into our question a little okay. bit. Maybe that's my attempt to transition okay. it. But yeah. yeah, I guess let's start with uh, uh, Senator Deniman and uh, what's kind of transpiring now. Yeah, so I don't know. Back uh, late spring last year, I got a call uh, from Senator Deniman's office. So the way that it works in the Senate is, you know, there's not many senators, 50, uh, that each one gets to kind of choose from their district someone to come and be chaplain of the day. So they come okay. and they pray over the the, the, um, the the Senate House before the you know the meeting started and I got the opportunity to do that the night before they had this big fight like not physical but it was also the complicated so I got to walk in the Wait, middle. does that happen in, in politics is there argument very rarely oh, uh, okay. but it happened here I mean, um, so I got to kind of walk in the next day he was absurdly gracious and um, got to know him and you know uh, our, our faiths are different you know, you know like historically He's Jewish, has a Jewish faith in that, uh, and a lot of his constituents have all sorts of different beliefs, and so um, even politically, we probably don't uh, land in the same spot, but uh, we both see each other as made in the image of God, and I care about him, he cares about me, and so there's been some kind of relationship there, and so um, from that meeting, just real quick, I reached out and ha asked if we could have lunch, just to thank him for that, so I drove up and met him in Westchester at lunch, and he started asking about different things we had going on here. And I just kind of highlighted some of the things I wanted us to do for our community, particularly as it relates to mental health. Yeah. And, you know, going back to this understanding of where the Lord's been really working with me last year and is that idea of living water, that there's 
there's something that's being nourished that we're not nourishing and so this idea of a soul just has been really really pressing in me particularly in my my um conversations with people that are so uniquely different than me whether they're different ages or uh, uh, different ability levels uh, physically or whatever it is and just seeing that every single man woman and child in our world has this soul that god loves and cares about right and so just trying to figure out how do we help celebrate that and help people from different walks of life see that and so i was just sharing with him a couple things you have going on one uh was just really want to engage in our community as it relates to accessibility to families particularly those with disabilities feeling like they belong like not that they are ostracized alienated or you know excluded like but actually a part of the thing particularly as it relates to church and so share with him uh that one thing that I want to see us do is, I think, more of a space. And just had to confess, you know, before we hired Laura Troutman to be our disability uh, director here, our inclusion ministry director here at the church, I wasn't thinking about that. Like, right? We, I drove the indoor playground. Right. Never right. once did I think in that, oh, you know what? We should probably talk to some of our friends who have disabilities of how this would benefit them and not shame on me and shame on us for not thinking about those things. And that just won't happen now with having my people around the table. So just really want to double down that. And so I sent telling Senator Denman that, some of the some of the resources that are available in Westchester and other parts of Chester County seem to be lacking in rural, uh, you know, southern Chester County, particularly in uh, places for people with disabilities to be able to congregate and hang out, feel included, and even for help with AIDS, you know, that support those things, all this kind of stuff. And so we were talking about that just kind of dreamt about one of the things that I just kind of was telling him, hey, one of the things I really want to see us do is I want us to have the largest accessibility playground that every kid, you know, that I, that every kid and every person in our community can play and enjoy together, not yeah. like everybody. So it doesn't matter, you know, typical versus non-typical, whatever those are, like everybody plays together and, and just could see him light up. And he was like, boy, I, I think there's some, uh, he used the word discretionary funds that could be available for that. And he's like, let me send you a grant about that. And then I also started sharing with him. Here's the other things that we're kind of working on is if Francis Allison, you know, 270 years ago, third pastor of our church, um, saw the need to create um, a way by which people got an education um, for free, right? They, yeah. they didn't. So that education shouldn't be based on what you can afford to pay, right? right. And so our church got in the middle of uh, the public education system and then so our, our church is going to point out as the first public school in pennsylvania now i have lots of opinions on that which way it went uh, all sorts of stuff but the reality is i appreciate the vision and frankly um i don't think education should be discriminatory i think everybody should be able to learn right and so i really love that particularly because gotta understand who god is gotta be able to re read the scripture so i kind of feel the same thing 292 years or 275 years later that um mental illness doesn't discriminate just doesn't like doesn't matter uh your age your socioeconomic status now there's some things that affect those things but it just doesn't and so therefore i don't think mental health providers should uh, discriminate either right mm -hmm. and there are some real issues of that how in the world do you create a sustainable model to, to do those things and so started talking to him and dreaming about how do we uh do mental health right, well and right. how do we make it affordable and accessible to all people so as i'm thinking about accessibility i'm thinking about how do we care for our friends with disabilities and how do we help everybody in our world uh, right. deal with rethinking right repentance there and so that's what i was kind of talking about in that conversation with senator denman as he was kind of uh we were you know we we're both grieving just the rates that we are seeing in terms of suicide. Yeah, you Here, mentioned that on yeah. on Saturday at the very least. Like yes, I did on all, all three of those services, okay. and then so uh, so we were talking about that, and you know, really, gosh, we got to do something about that. Yeah. But I thought, oh, I think I did it at the nine o'clock service. 
that's weird. We don't just hang out and chat. That was actually a follow-up uh, to talk about the accessibility playground. So I, he called me to follow up on that to say, hey, we do have funds available that we'd like to make available to do this. Okay. So I thought, oh, I just was talking about that, trying to give context to the reason for the call okay. or anything gotcha. else. So gotcha. did share in the 9 o'clock and didn't make it. I don't think I made it the other two. Okay. I uh, talked about meeting with him, talking about mental health. Really this idea that that soul, that part of you is the part that causes such deep pain and we got to nourish it. we got to feed it, but then also highlight the fact that we are um, trying to figure out how to create an accessibility playground. I'll share more with you on that at some point in the in the near future. Um, want to actually uh, put some more tangible thoughts to it and um, want to move from ideation to actual, uh, you know, and that's I think one of the things that we talk about is wow versus how. Yeah. We're still in the wow phase. Wow, that's really exciting. Yeah. Now let's actually get to a how piece it was nice i think uh, one person in particular reached out and said hey i have a, I have a, some contacts who did something like this in delaware and oh, okay. so if this is something awesome. you're passionate about going, hey i'd really like to do this you want to write grants to different playground companies yeah. i'd love love that love to uh to hear you respond to that over time at clcfamily.church or just yeah. josh at clcfamily.church if that's easier uh, and uh someone probably molly uh on our staff would follow up and get yeah. that going so, that's great yeah great well, um, kind of heading towards the question, but you had... Oh, I did Samaria stuff. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that you had talked about was that hatred that the Jews had towards the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. And, and um, for anybody maybe that wasn't there, or maybe if you can go a little bit deeper, if there's anything to go deeper, I think you did yeah. a pretty good job explaining it um, over the weekend. But why was there such a hatred towards these people and the Jewish people? Yeah, so <laughs> I think this is pretty self-evident. Uh, people who don't have fun don't like people that do. <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but you know, like if you're really, really uptight, and this is, and I'm speaking from experience, and you're going to go, he's the kind of person that has fun. No, I'm not. I'm the kind of person who's really uptight, right? Like I, I always have, a, I have a mission and objective, and I want to see it get done, right? All the time. And so there is this experience that people who are just whistling and enjoying their job, I'm like, you can't enjoy your job. People are going to burn in hell. You know, sorry. Uh, yeah. That explains a lot, yeah. actually, as you walk around this place. <laughs> yeah. Don't you whistle. Quit whistling. I'm just joking. Sorry for screaming there. Uh, I don't. I, I, I try to um, taper that. Uh, so you've got two different things. One is conviction, but just the reality is religious people have their rules. They follow the rules. But the thing that almost always progresses for people and all, all, all things of going, I'm going to create some boundaries in my life because I want to please God. Yeah. But then what happens is the boundaries that we've created in our life, the guardrails we've put up, Somehow we don't we don't keep those to ourselves. We then tell everybody else they should also follow the same boundaries, yeah. right? Here's here's the guardrails of my life. Here's the best practices, and if you'll do that, your life will be better too. Right. You know, so there is this kind of this premise that happens that we take our rules and like our rules, and then want everybody else to implement our rules, right? So it's not that we don't like rules. We talk about it all the time. If you build a clubhouse, you're putting the old girls allowed sign up, right? You like rules. You just don't like other people's rules, and so religious people kind of gravitate to their their rules, right, mm -hmm. and to their disciplines and. So one of the things that gets really, really frustrating for people who work really hard and do a lot and try to always make stuff happen, like these control freaks, it's really frustrating for those people to look to it on the other side and see people enjoying life and not doing those things. It's just one of those weird things, right? And so you have a bunch of Jewish people. Now, you got some leaders deep down. They know that they're really, really broken, and it's all about money. Now, they don't want to say it out loud. They still talk about their motivation, but it's money and power and control. So you got that realm. But underneath that realm are all these minions who are just doing what the religious leaders are telling them to do. Right. So they have all these rules, and they've been tricked to think that God is happy with them. 
right? I mean, if you think about even in our religious categories, I'm not taking shots at any sect of Christianity, but you can think of all sorts of different places in Baptist world, Christian world, Catholicism, where the leaders tell people how to behave and the, the, the people, the, the congregation just behaves that way. And then when that happens, they look out into the world and see people not having to do all those things and not feeling so much pressure and really enjoying the pleasure that they're finding. Now, just like these people deep down are trying to pretend like they have it all together and they don't, these people on the other side are pretending like all this pleasure is really satisfying them, but it's not either. But no one's being honest about that. So these folks on this end feel judged for their behaviors, and there's a reason for it. These people here are actually judging, but even when they're not, there is this there is this conviction that comes up out of us that go, there's something wrong with this, but I can't tell myself that. So it must be the pressure that someone else makes you feel. So you have religion and its anger and control on one side looking into the other side and going, how dare you pretend like you have keys to the kingdom and not have to do all the work I did? Right, I mean, you see it even when Jesus' parable is talking about like the workers in the vineyard. And, and this yeah. is even why she asks some of those questions about like worship. So yeah. there's some confusion there for her saying, well, it's here, but it's not. But you, you know, the Jews say this. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that confusion is there and she's even trying to get clarity in that. Yeah. Way. So there is this real battle of we're right, you're wrong, and they're gone. Right. Well, if you're, if your religion is supposed to make you all happy, yeah. If this makes you happy, then why the or why are you so sad? I think yeah. that's a Melissa Etheridge song or something that has some other words in it there. I didn't use them, but because um, I wouldn't use them. So I want to be clear there. I don't use those words. Don't think those words. You can laugh. I really don't. I don't. Okay. What's it? No, okay. you, you just left a perfect pause oh, for gotcha. where that w- yeah. word would have gone. Thanks, Christian. I'm just joking. He's not in here. So anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked. I didn't. I didn't tell, uh, gosh, we're live. Um, yeah, we are. So, yeah, so you have these people looking at those people going, how dare you? Because you got these religious people following their checklist every yeah. single day. And these people on the Sabbath, they're worshiping in the temple. They just forgot to take their clothes. And they brought everybody else's spouse with them, right? And so these people are really angry at those people. Like, yeah. So there's just this real legitimate anger. And guess what? Both of them are saying they have the keys to heaven. Right. So this isn't just about, this isn't just about in those moments what, what feels right and what doesn't feel right. There's something like, the reason Jesus is such a divisionary is because he claims to hold the keys to eternity. In other words, he goes, this side goes to heaven, this side goes to hell. Hmm. So that's why these words matter. That's why, you know, we don't care about the so many of the, you know, um, Homer's the you know books, uh, the Iliad or whatever. Right. That many copies, but we believe Homer wrote it because it doesn't matter anything. We have tons of copies from 2,000 years ago of the New Testament. Right? We have all yeah. sorts of stuff. And there's a lo- there's more evidence for that Bible being legitimate and factual than any other book in the history of the world. But it's not about that. It's about the fact that what it says in the book points to a hero and a savior yeah. and makes it a determining factor of what that means for your mom, my mom, my grandmother, my son, and what happens for them yeah. uh, post-death. So all of a sudden, both these guys are saying, we're right, you're wrong, and... So this is bigger than sports rivalries. This is not Eagles, Cowboys. And there's already hatred in that, right? Because one team thinks they're better than the other. Well, you have that and you extend it down through generations. And then you just have this vitriol that happens. I mean, you look at um, uh, the way that uh, civil rights mess happened and racism happened. Like people hated other people just because of the color of their skin. Well, where does that come from? Is that just innate in us? No, like there, maybe there's some brokenness in us and some selfishness in us, but that is taught to us. So you have these reasons in the beginning. These guys going, we're going we're gonna to chase after our pleasure while you chase after your rules. And then you just have that, you know, exacerbated down the centuries. Yeah. 
then what you have is literally people that wish the other side would die. By the yeah. way, look at Israel and Palestine now. Right. You're right. just still in the same category of we're right, no, we're right. Right. And there is a, a hatred, yeah. a hatred, a hatred going on in that. So, so I guess a question, and this is kind of my own question, but leading into the question that somebody had, had sent in. Yeah. So um, specifically talking about people groups, is there ever such a thing as, this is my question, a righteous hatred? Because, and let me go ahead and kind of read the question. The question that was sent in, it says this, would Jesus condone ISIS leader? And maybe I'm, I'm kind of taking this a step further than what this question yeah, is. Yeah, but, yeah. but kind of trying to read in between the lines a little bit, maybe explain that. Um, would Jesus condone ISIS leader? Um, it was the specific one that just recently died. Um, he said, would he condone his death, whether if killed by U.S. military or by his own suicide vest, um, and how his remains were disposed? So uh, for me, I guess as I'm reading that question, I'm, I'm trying to read maybe in between the lines a little bit, and maybe that doesn't quite answer the question, whoever had submitted that. So I apologize if I'm, if I'm doing your question injustice. But how... How do you navigate a group of people like ISIS and and then specifically the question for this leader? How do you how does a Christian and a believer go about that? Like how, how do you how do you live in both of those worlds? That's a good question. And oh man, um, it's interesting. Uh, yes, imagine Jesus and we like our lines and we like yeah. uh, yes and no, binary one or zero. We we like all those things. But I don't, I don't think we can answer it. Yes, he does, or no, right, he doesn't. Right. I think the answer is: Does he celebrate this? I don't think so. Does he permit it? Is he even agreeable to it? Possibly. It's like you asked me about a movie. Hey, do you like that movie? Like even Shawshank Redemption, a really yeah. good movie. It's like really good plot line. Really caught me at the end the first time. But I could have done without some of the language, yeah. right? So it's like you ask me it, I'm going yes. Well, and no. Well, maybe, but not always. You know, like, so I mean, you, I mean, there's a precedent for this. You see throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you see with Noah, right? So yeah. was God really, really happy that all, all those right. folks had water <laughs> fill their lungs? Yeah. No. He had to have grieved the loss of his children that way. Like, the same way you would to look at one of your children and go, there is nothing good that's going to ever happen here. Like, so here's, here'd be an example I'd give. Let's say, and this is going to be uncomfortable, and sorry if any kids are listening, but let's say, uh, you have a child who um, grows up to it to be a, an adult predator. Like there's something deeply wrong with them, whether that's sexually with, with you know, molestation or the type of person that um, can walk into a movie theater and murder, murder people. That's your child. Okay. Like there are people who have those children don't understand it all. There's this evil. Would you be relieved that that child was locked up? How can you be relieved for your kid to be incarcerated? Like, would you be relieved that they were chained and shackled so they'd never hurt another person? Like, you wouldn't celebrate it, but you probably would breathe a death of going, okay, he's not going to hurt anyone else. Yeah. Oh, he's not going to hurt innocents. Or you think about even, you know, think, I mean, I know people in this category who have adopted kids, who have little kids, and having to come to some really difficult understanding about how do we put up the right boundaries for this one while at the same time protecting this one? And how do we make so... Um, do I think Jesus had affection and love towards the ISIS leader? I think he did. Yeah. I think it was deeply grievous for him to see someone be so destroyed by evil that that's who they become. Yeah. 
Do I think he thinks it was necessary for something to happen? Absolutely. Is he okay with what happened? Probably. Um, so that's, and that's, I'm just working through all the script, uh, scriptures. Yeah. I can think about like in Ezekiel where God talks about not loving to bring wrath, but also being a God who brings justice. So is right. he proud of the justice he brings people? Yes. Is he proud of the people who are freed from captivity, like literal captivity as a result of that? Right. Absolutely. Is he proud? Is he, is he pleased by those things? Yes. But he deeply grieves the state of our world. Yeah. So it's, it's so weird because he is the father of all people. Abraham's the father of all these people, right? Like he looked and said, I'm going to bless every person. Like any, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so you can bless other people. And so you see through this lineage, this, this huge mess. And still this ISIS leader, what he's doing is evil. Right. It's evil. It's evil. And God thwarts evil. And he says, vengeance belongs to me. So uh, it's really, really complicated. And I think that's where we just got to kind of walk in and go, unless we've had children that we've had to protect from themselves and protect from other people, it's probably harder for us to understand. And I don't think we really want to have empathy in this situation. I don't want to have empathy in this situation, but if we could pause for a second and just imagine that this is a human who was once a baby, the same kind of baby we don't want aborted, the same kind of baby we want fostered or adopted, right? This was that baby. And so when you look at it that way, you go, man, absolutely. No, we got to get to the second piece. I don't know how his remains were discarded. I don't know any of those things. I'm assuming the question is, if they weren't d- done in a way that uh, honors, uh, uh, you know, Islam or Muslim law, I don't, I don't know enough about those things. And so um, that one's a little bit more complicated because you go, well, it doesn't really matter. It's a fake God. Like, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but right. Allah is not Jesus, right. right? You go, God and Allah are the same. It can't be because one son, God sent his son to rescue us. The other one did. Right. Yeah. And so, so you go, well, it doesn't really matter because the religion is not real. So what they're doing is just stupid. And that, you know, like, it doesn't really matter those things. I'm going, well, it depends on what our motivation is. Yeah. Like, do we want our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that worship a false God of law to come to repentance and faith in Jesus? Oh, well, absolutely. And if we want them to worship Jesus and have Jesus fill their soul, then how we respond to them matters. And so Jesus talks about this in First Corinthians, or Paul talks about this in First Corinthians 8. He's literally, they're talking, because you know Old Testament and other ways, people would make sacrifices of animals to these false gods, right? Mm-hmm. They go, we're going to kill this animal and celebrate God. And the Christians are going, well, that's stupid. That's a waste of some good meat, right? right? Like, hey, in the middle of the night, can I sneak in there and eat that meat? And Jesus, well, Paul's going, well, there's probably some liberty to eat it because it, it, it's not given to some other God. It's like that God's going to get you, right? Because it doesn't exist. But, but just because you have the liberty doesn't mean right. it's the appropriate thing to do, particularly for your weaker brother, particularly for this person who doesn't believe this faith system. So I would say, as a Christian, I think it makes sense that we respect and honor people and what they value, even if we disagree. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean we have to affirm all their beliefs and make them feel good, but it doesn't mean we need to walk around on our sides and say that your stuff is stupid. It means we are loving and gracious. Here's here's the thing I'll tell you. And this I don't think this I don't think this will create any issues in that thing, but Jesus says to love our neighbor, not our religion. Hmm. I think that's really important that we understand. Yeah. Love your There's neighbor as yourself, not your religion as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the primary way by which we honor and love God. And so 
we got to then figure out, well, who's our neighbor? Yeah. And then Jesus tells that beautiful parable of going, your neighbor is the one in need. Your neighbor is the one who's been wrecked by life or wrecked by the evil one. And you have to go pick him up. And he celebrates, by the way, a Samaritan of all people. And that to celebrate that yeah. picture, he uses this pagan who does the right thing. Because, and he goes, that's the one who loved his neighbor, right? And so yeah. I think we have to go, what's the best way to love our neighbor? No, we don't. We, we don't. I mean, our military isn't a Christian military. It's not those things. But if you're asking me how Jesus feels about it, I think Jesus wants us to love our neighbor and care for our neighbor and hope for the day where they look at us and go, can you tell me about this, Jesus? Yeah. So. I, I feel like it's such a complex question because <laughs> I do recognize it in myself. I want kind of one side or the other I, I like black and white like to to be in the gray area is challenging but i feel like so many times there's a tension in my walk with christ like there's a tension between you know do i live by grace or do i live according yeah. to the to the law is it rules or is it by grace and and i just feel like so many times i keep coming back to a place where i don't think jesus really removes that tension from me and that's the place that i have to live and i feel like Almost as you're answering it, that's kind of what I'm thinking yeah. through of going, even this is a tension that I would like it to be the black yeah. or white. Like, yeah. okay, we can hate this group and that's okay, but that's really yeah. not it. Like, I'm not released or, uh, you know, that, that tension isn't just disappear yeah. by the answer. Yeah, so. which, but if we're thinking about what repentance is, right? Change your thoughts, therefore your beliefs, therefore your behaviors, right? What good does an answer give you? Mm. right so like what <laughs> good does him going yes yeah. or no like even as we talk through this yeah. what we just gave you was a new thought to think about right. in terms of jesus so what jesus does which is so beautiful so he asked you ask him a question very rarely does he, he make it no he yeah. does tell that girl in that moment that he is the messiah which is so beautiful he understood that that's what she needed to understand because she had to change some thoughts that she is valued right yeah so in that moment the thoughts that need to be replaced in that moment was she was valued right yeah. Yeah. so most of them when jesus asks a question or he just responds with a question why because they got to get some new understanding in them right so i really appreciate the question of how does god feel about the isis leader not because i go he hates him he's yeah. disappointing him he thinks he's evil those are really simple answers that go oh let's imagine god's heart in this and get some better understanding of which then leads to a place well if god loves that human being then can't we at least come to terms with the fact that he must love us too? Yeah. Like that, right. that, that would just be necessary in that. Yeah. So I think that it's really important that we shy away from this, the really quick answers and go, what we're really looking for here is yeah. Jesus wants us to actually pause for a second and go, where am I? What am I doing? Yeah. What am That's I good. thinking? And what do those think? What does those thoughts tell me about what I believe about who he is? Yeah. Thoughts so, lead to beliefs yeah. and your beliefs lead to your behavior. Yeah. So um, uh, we've got about uh, nine minutes left yeah. or a little bit more than that. Um, any other thoughts, like anything else that you either left out or just didn't make the cut for the weekend that you wanted to share or um, expound upon? Yeah, so one of the things I, I think I shared this that I would have spent some time here because, you know, she says, uh, the woman of the well asked Jesus, where do I worship? Do I worship on the mountain, meaning the place that my ancestors built, my new, the new pagan temple? Right. Or do I have to go to Jerusalem? There's a time will come. Well, actually, it's actually come where uh, the Father seeks true worshipers, and you can worship in spirit and truth. Yeah. And so um, Paul talks about this, I think, 1 Corinthians 4. I didn't. I should have looked it up. Uh, where it talks about uh, our body, uh, 6, 1 Corinthians 6. Yeah. Our body <laughs> is a, a temple, right? Check so, it out at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah, fact check me there. I, Oh man, um, I should have looked up. Uh, so our body, I would, so I could have impressed you off. I would have known it immediately. I'm like, oh, 
he's such a good pastor and Christian. Um, but I talked about our body being a temple. And so one of the things is Paul kind of expounds on this idea that Jesus goes, ah, not the temple, uh, not on the mountain. You just worship God in spirit true. And the Father seeks true worshipers. And so I think there's something really important to understand that when the Father is seeking his people who worship him and build a relationship with him and yeah. affectionately kiss back to him, right? Those are you know, kind of the, the, the picture there. And so I, I, it would have been wrong to talk about in that sermon just way too much, but go, okay, if our body's a temple, that's, you know, when you think about that, uh, when people start talking about body as a temple, what's usually the stuff they talk about? Uh, yoga? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so you got yoga. You, uh, yeah, sorry to put you on the spot there. Or even like you, you'll see a lot of like nutritionists yeah, yeah, go, well, if your body's a temple, then you shouldn't worship in a certain way with it. Shouldn't do certain Actually, things. Actually, what I was it. really thinking was that line that it was like, you know, treat your body like a temple. Mine's more like an amusement park. I was yeah. going, but I don't know if I should share uh, that. Yeah. That's actually what I was thinking. Yeah. So. so John Mayer says our bodies are <laughs> wonderlands. And so Andy says, daddies, be good to your daughters. Learn to you love quoted them. that yeah. this weekend. Girls become lovers, turn to mothers. So daddies, be good to But anyway, so in this, that idea of temple, most of the time when we talk about it and highlight it, it's, don't put bad things into it. Right. Don't put bad things into it. Don't do that. Don't put bad things into it. Don't eat that. Don't drink that because your body's a temple. But do we understand when we're talking about that? We're still talking about our physical bodies and the physical nourishment. Mm. So we're still in the same paradigm of we got to treat our bodies good because of – not that I'm saying we shouldn't think about nutrition and nourishment. And I think that is a portion of the nuanced complication of what it means to be our temple. Okay. But really the part is, is guess what else is housed in our temple? Our soul – Right, yeah. and so our soul commingles with God's soul, and the place by which that happens is in our body. Mm-hmm. So this isn't just about what do you eat or what do you drink or how much you work out. Those things matter because I guess God wants us to have a good, you know, body in terms of healthiness, that kind of stuff, right? But really, the picture of God telling us our body is a temple has to do with the fact that our soul dwells on there, and so does His. Mm-hmm. So this is the place that the two of those things get to be together. So you go, well, how do you get there? And that's why I love what it says in Romans twelve. Chapter uh, verse one. Uh, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, meaning that He sought us out, He freed us from captivity. Offer your bodies, your temples, as a living sacrifice, mm-hmm. holy and pleasing. For this is your spiritual act of worship. So, as we think about this, Jesus Creed, kind of finished up last week, though, even the week before, that this idea that what we're trying to do is change our thoughts that go. I don't. It's not about performing well in a church. It's not about performing well in my job. Those are not the ways I worship. Uh, it's all about changing my thoughts and understanding that God meets me where I am always. And the reason he does is because he loves me and he sought me out. And and you know, while we were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, as Gary read this weekend, uh, he died for me, meaning he seeks me out. So what's that belief tell me? That I am worthy of son or daughtership. Because cause I always talk about this. We were talking about the prodigal son earlier. Okay, how should the older brother have right. What should right. the older brother have done? Like what right. was the proper response? Proper response is if one of my daughters goes astray, my son's going to get them. Right? right? That's the proper response of what a loving brother does. He goes and gets his right. son, his, his little brother out of trouble. Right? Like that's what he does. And so this picture of the older son, the first son, comes and gets us out of trouble and brings us back to the father. So offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, for that is our spiritual, our logical way that we worship. So how do we worship with our bodies? We take all of us and submit ourselves back to God and go, God, I don't know what you want for me. But this isn't just about me working out or eating some food, but there's something about this whole part of me that I'm supposed to bring with me everywhere I go in a form of worshiping you because my soul and your soul, your soul are present yeah. if I'm a Christian everywhere I go. Yeah. So that that would be the thing I wish I would have spent a little more time on. Then okay. Romans 12, 2, really beautiful because it says, that, right after that, then it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't get caught up in the here and now. 
but be transformed, right? Yeah. That's that's a new behavior. Right. Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. I mean, yeah. you change your thoughts, change your beliefs, then there'll be a transformation of your right. behavior right. because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect and pleasing will are. Good, perfect, yeah. and pleasing will. So it's good for us. It's pleasing. This will be the best you ever do, and it's perfect. It's exactly what God wants for you. Yeah. So there is something in there that go, wow, it's so neat that the scriptures kind of just lead us down this path. So until you start changing your thoughts, the rest of it's a waste of time. Okay? Yeah. So that's where I'd begin. Well, I think that's about all of the, the time that we yeah. have. Um, uh, thank you, Josh, for, for doing this. Thank you guys oh, for Oh, you're so listening. welcome. Uh, you're you're I so welcome. I felt obligated to thank him. You're so he's, welcome. He's really the only one in the room with me other than the camera, so yeah. I just felt obligated. You're to all that. in the room but with us. Thank you all oh, I'm for sorry. joining no, just us. One second. Um, I know, I don't, I'm not speaking for anyone else, but I know the Holy Spirit and Jesus are with me in the room. <laughs> all right. So with that, we're going to sign out. You can... <laughs> live in that tension that Josh and I are going to be living in in the next 10 minutes once we sign off. But uh, we do want to say thank you for, for joining us today. Again, if you are watching this live, but you missed the beginning half or you want to catch up or even just hear some of the other overtime podcasts that we've done or hear any of the Sunday morning messages or hear uh, that Bravely Honest podcast that, that started last week, um, you can find all of that on our website, clcfamily.church. Or you can go to our podcast links that's on Apple, that's on Spotify, and then a couple others that are SoundCloud, connected to SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yeah. So, and you find us by just searching clcfamily.church. Should get all that information there. Lastly, just want to highlight again the evening with elders. That's next Wednesday, the 13th. Um, they'll be able to, to give you kind of a little bit of a heads up of what's been happening, some updates for some of the property, some of the things that we have going on, and answer any questions that you might have for that. That goes from about 6.15 till about 7.30, and then you can stay and get to know those elders through that. So, And if you made it all the way to this point, yeah. and you're not a part of our church, yeah, uh, we really think you should be, yeah. uh, for sure, because you're still here and still engaged. Yeah. The so, fact that you're yeah. watching and listening at and this you're not point, part of the church, like, yeah, we should be friends. Awesome. We should be friends. So, so uh, you should show up Saturday night, 5 o'clock, yeah. Sunday morning at 9 or 10.45, or every Wednesday we have a meal together at 5.30. Make sure to introduce yourself to Ben. Yeah, I'd love to meet you. Josh, on the other hand, eh, no. I'm going to be the introvert who sits in the corner and looks at the floor. That's exactly it. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one that uh, makes it happen. So, okay. Have a great week. See you. The end. <laughs>